2: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. The A to Z of Snooker is finally, finally, finally at an end. Once again, I sat down with Neil Folds, Alan McManus and Phil Yates as we reached the end of the alphabet. So the final part then of the alphabet. V is for Viney, as in David Vine, and it's actually a catch topic about the people who presented Snooker over the years. Everyone will have their favourites. I think he was, obviously in the 80s, the best known. I mean, all sorts of people. I was on YouTube earlier Des Lynham presented the Masters one year. David Davis, remember him? When he's a football man, uh, executive in football, he presented the Masters. Because, of course, Vine was always doing Ski Sunday. David Icke, famously. Tony Gubber, all these sort of people on the BBC. ITV had Dickie Davis, Tony Francis, Nico, in these sort of people. And they all do it differently. But one thing it's worth saying, it's a very tough job. They don't have an autocue. They have all sorts of people talking in their ear. Uh, it's not for everyone. I couldn't do it they do a phenomenal job of course another name on that list which is definitely worth saying
1: Jeff Stelling who presented Sky um, in the early years and who was absolutely tremendous the first ever television gig I had was with Dickie Davis and he was an absolute legend wasn't he Mm. with ITV what a nice man and a total pro with regard to the BBC David Vine brilliant at his job absolutely brilliant Hazel Irvin now I cannot speak highly enough of Hazel she's just the ultimate professional, but in between, Dougie Donnelly,
3: absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, I actually remember working uh, with uh, Simon Reid, actually, okay. before, on a Sky event, which was in the studios there. Look, Simon, we know, uh, he's a commentator at Eurosport, great friend of us all, and he's just somebody like that. He, he was doing it It's a long time ago now. There have been so many very good ones, as you say. Jeff Stelling was... Was excellent. I mean, the current batch. I feel lucky to work with with all of them. You know, Jill and, and Rishi, on ITV, and of course Andy and Colin, especially on on Eurosport. And I think they're all very good and they're all good professionals as well. As you say, a lot of research goes in, and and it's, you know it's, it's it's hard work. And it's some people think they can just walk into <laughs> that job, but it's a specialist job. Mm. It's, it doesn't matter for you. You could be. You could know everything about snooker but it, being yeah. a presenter it's a
0: different story. It Absolutely t- to do it's, with that. Yeah, it's worth saying that that you know we're in a priv- privileged uh, position to you know you go behind the curtain and you actually see what these people do and uh, obviously I no chance of being able to do it because when you when you think about and you see it and you witness it what they're doing live with as David said people in their ear is beyond me you know how they're, they're able to do. It. I mean I've stood next to Hazel for example on the steps of the crucible and she's doing a live link. Now, a lot of people think, oh, it's a live link, but it's standing in front of, uh, you know, a thousand people, cameras peopled everywhere, and she's got to deliver a two or three minute, you know... No, so secure, as David said. With nothing, she just memorised it, and how she got I'm standing next to her, and I'm, like, I'm having kittens, you know, and she's... Uh, is just like clockwork, it's, mm. it's incredible. I
3: think David Vine used to enjoy a couple of drinks while he was doing yeah. it as well, to mm-hmm. keep him going, and that's an yeah. even bigger, better effort, isn't it? Really, yeah. What's the More it, than it. a we it, Well, totally, yeah. <laughs> Here's one actually about Hazel I think it was the December
0: of 1990. We had the uh, you know, we have the uh, Sports Personality yeah. every Year every year, was a big thing. We used to have it in Scotland and it was live, and uh, so December 90, whatever age Hazel would have been then. Uh, she was very young, and uh, it was her first ever live broadcast. She, cause we, you know, it was like, uh, right, we're on here in fifteen minutes. We're sitting in that kind of, a kind of um, uh, hall, basically, and all the rugby guys, football guys, boxing, snooker, this, that, and the other. And um, it was herself and Dougie Donnelly, but she was really young. And even then, but the first, like, the, the program was on for. It must have been at least an hour. And she never missed a beat. So it just shows you how she was made to do it. She's just brilliant, naturally. But it's incredibly difficult. And also, and
2: I'll say this about Hazel as well, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, she doesn't act Mm. like a star. I remember years ago, I I very briefly uh, was a snooker correspondent of a newspaper called The Sportsman. Briefly because it folded pretty quickly, but it was like a betting newspaper. And I saw Hazel at the Crucible and it was about half 12 and I said to, because uh, they wanted lots of content, and wanted interviews, I said would you mind doing an interview? She said well I'm going on at 1 but I'm off at 6, I'll, I'll see you then. Now a lot of people would say that as a way of just basically saying, you know, go away. I'm not kidding, 5 past 6, there she was, you know, she had That's all lovely. the programme, done the programme, all that, all that to think about, but hadn't forgotten, came down, did the interview, good as gold, you know, yeah, she's very good. great a- pro. And she does so much work in research.
1: I've worked with her not just on, on snooker but on golf. Uh, the Ryder Cup official film and I wrote the script and she came in and she was just brilliant at delivering the lines and maybe doing a tweak here and there to suit the way she delivered and stuff. I can't speak highly enough of it. You know, you know, this is a, we're at the champion of champions here, and this is a, a week's event. Now, when I'm commentating, if I stumble on say three or four sentences a week, maybe five. I won't particularly like that, but that's about par for the course. You know, you're going to occasionally in a match stumble on a sentence and, of course, you immediately recover and say it properly. I don't think I've ever heard Hazel stumble ever, anywhere, anytime, even under the most extraordinary pressure. Well,
0: it's, for example, I, I'm fortunate again to get to work with her the last couple of years and I've gone in the studio and let's take, take a player out, Lee Hang. Is playing. Uh, he's not played that many, many times on TV, and I'll go in. I'll sit down. Say Lee Hang's playing Judd. She'll say, Yeah, that Lee Hang's been doing well, and he what he beat a uh, thingy last week, and he did this, and he, he's up to this, yeah. and that. She every player. She knows right. about every player, and that folder that you see sitting in front of her is just full of notes. Mm. Um, it, she's incredible, as they all are in different ways. Yeah. Every crucible on the final morning, I'll sort of try
1: and find her out, and we'll sit down for ten minutes, and she'll say got any stats for me and I'll, I'll tell her a few that I've thought about that particular final and I can tell you every single year she tells me one that I haven't thought about
2: and yeah. that's the level of the, the research she does. David Icke of course as I mentioned well, earlier. Well, David Icke. Yeah, Now, I mean he spent a lot of time in the snooker world and then things changed for him. Do you think the two maybe are connected?
3: Maybe because <laughs> um, my biggest breakthrough was at the Crucible beating uh, Alex Higgins and he was the presenter then if you look on mm. YouTube the, 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 best, the most interesting thing is not beating me in the match with me and Alex it's David Ike being there and he, I would meet him at breakfast in the mornings you know like he would and he would seem the, the most uh, I was going to say normally he's normal anyway but you know what I mean And n- no different to anybody else and then he, his life changed completely mm. he's got a big following worldwide isn't yes. he huge yeah. but he was the, the quietest most unassuming guy and now he's Pretty gregarious, pretty different, isn't he? And yeah. we're sitting in the Rico Arena you know, in Coventry. Did he not play in goals for Coventry? Or no. I think it was
0: Hereford United, oh. I think it was. Ah, then.
1: okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, I knew with you would know that. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I had dinner
1: with him at the Masters on a couple of occasions, and, and uh, like you say, Neil, you know,
3: good presenter. Very, Very good. good. Very, Very good. good. I wonder yeah. if he'll ever get back into presenting snooker. <laughs> I don't know. be interesting. <laughs> Give him a call. Um, Alan Weeks as well, of course. He did
2: Pop Black, and he actually was, he would pre-vine at the World Championship. You yeah. check out like the old Radio Times. He, right. he, he presented there. You know, all very different, but all have certainly contributed uh, lots to the coverage of Snook I'm sure everyone will have their favourite presenters. Uh, speaking of favourites, W can only be whirlwind, can't it? Jimmy White. We're in Coventry. We were, we were here this week when he played Ronnie O'Sullivan. I think. You know, regardless of what you feel about Ronnie, a lot of people were hoping Jimmy would have one sort of last hurrah and it, it didn't happen, but you saw as well the just the affection, the enduring affection that people have for him. Well
1: I think it's a measure of his popularity that when he was in front of that match, at one particular time frame, he was actually Jimmy White was trending number one on Twitter in the UK. That's unbelievable. In the middle of an it's election campaign, you, it's
2: unbelievable that you know that because you're not on Twitter. But anyway, well, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But I do know a little bit about social media. Yeah. And when I was told, I thought,
1: well, hold a minute. You know, lots going on in the world here. There's mm-hmm. the middle of an election campaign, yeah. and Jimmy White is trending number one on Twitter in the yeah. UK. That just goes to show how popular the guy is. Yeah. Well, Neil knows him
0: t- a hundred times better than I do. But I'd t- sum him up in two words: cool guy. He's just a. Yeah. He's he's just a real cool dude and the the, the the nicest guy probably mm-hmm. in, in snooker. To be honest, well, it,
3: there's nobody like Jimmy. He's, he's he is a complete one-off I mean I think people sort of speak like that about too many individuals but I can honestly say that I've never met anybody like Jimmy there's never a dull moment is there he's a master of the one-liner he'll say something that will just make you just dissolve with laughter <laughs> I still think about um when we were at um, a couple of years ago at the Welsh and it was, if you remember, terrible weather, really heavy snow. People like Mark Williams, he couldn't, he couldn't get home. He lived half an yeah, hour away. And Andy Goldstein, in mistake, said to John Higgins... Uh, but <laughs> I think it was at the Saturday, like because obviously John's wife Denise and, and the family would often come up watch him play. And he said, <laughs> he said to, and he said to John, "Are the family coming up?" <laughs> and Jimmy said, "If they got a snow player, are they going to get down here?" <laughs> it? it just made yeah. me laugh so yeah. much. You know? Well, yeah. actually,
0: n- talking about Twitter a second ago, in a, in a world now where everybody's constantly offended about everything, mm. you could never be offended by anything Jimmy no, ever he's, says. He's, he's no. that sort of but guy. Yeah. That's really, kind of. Really a the table on
3: the table you know speaks for itself really i mean i i first met him when i was 12 and he was 13 playing in the club and i thought i was quite good i wasn't very good anyway at that age and i had my dad said have a game with him my dad knew about him he'd he'd seen him and of course he was absolutely fantastic he could make century breaks and i couldn't make 20 um you know i wasn't old enough or good enough but um yeah great great talent real the most streetwise bloke you'll know you know um, anyone would ever try and pull a stroke on Jimmy? No chance. <laughs> well, we'll the,
0: straight through you. I've told this one as well before, just just quickly that um, the first time I ever met him, I was playing him in the quarters of the UK, um, so it was at Preston Guildhall, and I'd never met him before. Um, so my first year as a pro, and uh, I seen him in the and you got the steps in the, the Holiday Inn Hotel there at the end of the bus station in Preston and I went upstairs and I seen him and I thought oh god there's Jimmy White over there you know and he came over and he was like and sorry about the accent but he's like all right mate play tomorrow. you know he's going how you doing I'm Jimmy and I, right away it's I thought a like Dick Van Dyke yeah. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry um, <laughs> Glaswegian Cockney um, and I thought straight away, I thought, like, what a good, what a yeah. nice guy. You
3: know, I yeah. was like, just to be in the room with him, I was like, bloody,
0: there's Jimmy
3: White over there. The other thing about him is he's um, the as yeah. most popular bloke you'll ever meet. His, his yeah. phone is ringing, yeah. and there's all kinds of people <laughs> from all around the world was phoning him at all yeah. times. His yeah. phone is never off. There's always someone different on there.
2: But maybe, you know, obviously, inevitably, we talk about the world's final defeats. Maybe that was a factor in not winning it, the fact that he was a bit too gregarious. Like, you look at someone like Hendry or Davis, they're just going to shut themselves off from everyone and focus on job in hand. Jimmy has time for people, maybe too much time for some some people over the years and and I guess it's counted against him but one thing that's clear and we've seen it again here in commentary is He's just love his love for Snooker hasn't hasn't gone away. You know, he's had a lot of knocks,
3: we know that. But he still <coughs> just loves the game, loves playing, loves being part of it all. I think he's too much has been put into those six world finals. The fact that he got to six world finals is a great achievement. Mm. You know, he <coughs> won the Masters, he won the UK, he won a lot of things, he won that thing in Birmingham, didn't they, in nineteen ninety or whatever it yeah, year. Year ninety one, he won that event. And um, he, he's won everything. He's been in six world finals. He's one of the great crucible players, isn't he? Mm. When you look back at a
1: players' career and the totality of it. Yes, the world championship is massively important, but it's not the be all and end all. I think his career has been much better than certain people who've won the championship. So, you know, yes. we shouldn't we shouldn't define him by the fact that he lost those six world no. finals.
2: Well the point is it'll always be Jimmy White, won't he? That's the thing and you know it's all part of the heady mix of his life and career, but what a life. And as he said himself, you know, he was just a kid from tooting. Who's become like a, a national treasure, basically. And he's an unrepentant hedonist. He just enjoys himself. Mm. Great. Why yeah. yeah. not?
1: It's not a rehearsal, this. This is the real thing. Cool, did You're talking about this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank
2: God for that. Yeah. Right. Um, OK, we'll move on. X is for Exhibitions. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I've done there, yeah? yeah I yeah. do, yeah. Um, Now, of course, I guess they've become less important to players okay. because there's so much tournament snooker to play in and, and money to be on from that. But certainly in the early days of snooker, you know, that's how you made your living, isn't it? Because there, w- there wasn't a professional circuit. And the
1: old pros were brilliant because they could not only play well, certainly, you know, what was considered well in those days, make a century break here and there, but also entertain the crowd. Graham Miles was brilliant, you know, he was a good player, World Championship finalist pod black winner make the odd century good standard of snooker but he could also
3: in the middle of breaks tell really funny jokes Mm. dennis taylor of course the same yeah no that's right i mean i think it was a different era obviously the aforementioned jimmy white still does exhibitions but um and a few others do um but you know it was there have been some great entertainers who do those i mean steve davis an exhibition that he would do would always be great it would be Funny, it'd, it'd be great, nice to all the members. He'd do trick shots. I think that's important. It, not everyone does them, mm. but that you know, a little the night rounded off by trick shots seemed to mean a lot. I think the one I saw first of was Jackie Ray actually, and he was terrific. He wasn't a particularly great player, but he did a, a, you know he'd enjoy a couple of Guinnesses, and he would be. Almost like a comedian wasn't he And, and, he, and he did uh, the, the Chopsticks shots He's the first person ever to ever do that The, the, sort of the shot with the, the ball running down two cues, and You've got to see it really to understand it He's, And the other one I would say Who did a great exhibition Was Cliff Thorburn uh, uh, Who also did brilliant trick shots at the end So those guys absolutely got good pros And they would give you a ter- really really top night I
0: I I've had a couple of funny um, thoughts about the exhibition. I don't do many. I do do the odd one, um, but it's, it's when you're a, see when you're a snooker player and you're you're on the tour, let's say, um, so you're obviously a pretty good standard, and you t- you kind of take it for granted because, it, I mean the standard of play because I only really ever mix around a snooker table with other pros, you know, John Higgins, Graham, they're all good players constantly. When you go to do an exhibition, you play maybe six or eight guys, and it'll be the best players of that club. Like, quite frankly, they're all rubbish, <laughs> generally. But it's quite char- it's quite charming in a way because it reminds you that the game's difficult. You know, I go, I've I've been in clubs, and they'll get like, this is the club champion. He's going to play, and he'll maybe score nine, and then he'll miss like a Dolly Black, and yeah, all right, they're nervous, but you, you, it it sort of reminds you that the game is that, di- and you you maybe you. Decent, you know, mm. as a player, because you take it for granted because you spend time with Dotty, with John, with Stevie, Ants and whoever you know, the people that you. When I, when I was fourteen or fifteen, I was that club champion. <laughs> right, R- <laughs> rubbish, but I didn't
1: know. Yeah, and I, yeah. I played Ray yeah. in an exhibition in front of a lot of people. Yeah, and I have got the three-piece suit on and everything. Red, black, red, snookered in. The worst thing I ever did. Oh, then he got gone, ha, yeah. ha, 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 And he put me in a million snookers after that. <laughs> 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 I knew my place, let me tell you, after that yeah.
3: frame. Yeah. It seems that any exhibitions that Ronnie O'Sullivan does, he always seems to make a 147 mm. now as well. That's, that rounds off a good night. Mm. The amount I've seen, it's just unbelievable.
2: There was a story, they weren't always, you know, they weren't always necessarily um, successful events. There was a story Fred Davis told years ago that, Turn up somewhere in the middle of nowhere to, to an exhibition, and so we got there and said to the, the guys running it, Where's the table? and the guy said, Well, we thought you'd bring it with you <laughs> <laughs> as if you're going to strap it to the roof of his car or something. So, but of course, for those guys, and this is why Pop Black was important because suddenly, once they had TV exposure, they could actually earn a lot more money doing exhibitions. And as I say, when there were no tournaments, it was important, wasn't it? I suppose the
3: current crop of players, though, just don't have the top players, they don't need to do them. I know some do. But they don't need to do them now, do they? The other, the other thing that a lot of the old pros used to do, and I, something I would love to have done, was the the, the holiday camp circuit, mm. doing exhibitions around those. And I think Ray Reardon had a, 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 did an awful lot of them. And uh, I, I, I remember John Virgo once telling me the story that he replaced Ray for a week. Ray was on his holidays. And uh, he first night he jumped into to the bed and there was a door in the bed. <laughs> a, a door just uh, completely just jumped in. It was a, and it turned out it's that Ra- Ray's back was bad. And he used oh, to right. sleep on a door and they didn't realise that Ray wasn't there. So they left it in there not knowing that um, JV was doing the exhibition.
0: <laughs> Funny thing is, well, exhibitions, not prob- I don't know about, maybe it is still now. Um, a lot of guys in the club that you go, that maybe never seen a hundred break live. Yeah. So, it's, you know, a hundred break to a pro is like getting up in the morning. They, they mm. just happen because it's pretty, pretty straightforward stuff. But to do one in the, why he's made a hundred, you know, because maybe the highest break in the club's like seventy or yeah. eighty or something, and mm. you know. So it's, it's it's probably a bit of a thrill for people to see, a, you know, a pro. I think for the vast majority of people, exhibitions obviously are a way of making
1: money, but I think for one player, they really helped his professional career. Ian McCulloch. Mm. Now, when he was coming up, he wasn't very well known, so to go an exhibition, it needed an angle, and what he used to do was say to the club. Okay, if I don't make a century break. I'm not going to get paid. Now, if he gets to the last frame of the night and he's not made one, he's under pressure. So if he makes one there, it learns him how to deal with pressure. And, of course, he went on to reach the the semi-final of the World Championship.
2: Yeah, and you were telling the story, Phil, the other day. You went to to a billiards exhibition featuring Clive and Eddie Charlton. How was that?
1: Well, it was was a snooker exhibition. Oh, sorry. Um, And then some billiards afterwards. Uh, it was a two-day exhibition. It wasn't meant to be, but it, it stretched past midnight. <laughs> uh, Eddie Charlton, of course, got that Australian medal, and he was Eddie Charlton AM, and of course, everyone called him after midnight after oh. that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, Eddie wasn't best suited for the exhibition circuit. Let us put no. it that way.
2: Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. Okay, we've got two more letters. Y. Again, this is slight. Well, it's very much a cheat. Y is for why me, as in the part. Luck plays in snooker. And it's amazing, isn't it? We always see this, even in big matches, a game of intense skill. And if you haven't got the skill, you can't win. But sometimes you just need to be lucky, because at the end of the day, it is just balls running around the table.
3: Yeah, I think I think. um, I remember straight away that there was. I played Cliff Thorburn in a match many years ago, and I had a fantastic run of the ball in the match and won. And I was used to people. If you got a good run, pulling faces there was quite a few players in that era that would shake their head and just be like the world was against them without going into it I think we all get dragged into that sometimes anyway I played Cliff beat him had an outrageous run of the ball and afterwards and he didn't even flinch and after I said, Look, I have to say that I, I had a great run there. I'm sorry about that. I said, But I'm really impressed the way you took it. He goes, Listen, I'm the guy who fluked to red and made a 147 and won <laughs> however yeah. much money it was. Was it 20 30, or 30,000 yeah, or whatever yeah. he won? Yeah. He goes, And I always think about that. So I never get involved in bad luck because I had a great mm. slice of good fortune there. And I think that's a great attitude to have because mm. most of the time you, you do think why me, as you called it. And uh, I thought it made me think that, that that's the attitude you need, really. Mm.
1: Frank Callen, one of the great coaches of modern snooker, one of the great coaches in snooker history, really, he always used to get riled up, and I have exactly the same opinion as he did, about these people who say, oh, you know, look, it always evens itself out. <laughs> Absolutely not true, even if numerically it evens itself out. If you fluke the last black to win the World Championship, that's far more important mm. than fluking a red in the first frame of some meaningless tournament. So numerically, definitely... Might equal itself out, but
3: you know, overall it doesn't. You can't always be unlucky, though, can you, really? Oh, no, that's no, the, that's the other thing. No, actually. no, you, I mean, you know, some look, days
2: you're going to be unlucky, Alf. Unlucky, Alf, yeah,
0: yeah
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> right. You know. I guess the point is, though, like you alluded to with Thorburn, you know, some players deal with it better than others. You look at someone like Mark Selby, he seems able to just, you know, whatever's happening, he'll cope. Others you can see like
0: the first thing that goes wrong they think it's not gonna be my day why am I even bothering to be here well especially in the modern game because mm. the guys are that good one bit of luck goes a long long way doesn't it so you know if someone gets a fluke they win the frame and probably back in the day it wasn't as uh, big a deal if someone got a fluke
3: they'd m- maybe make 20 make mm. 30 but it's gone out of the game though people yeah. shaking their heads there's a few that do it now mm. and you think well why are you doing that but there was a time 25, 30 years ago well, I can think of six or seven players I might have even been one of them um, who would, you would think the world was against you out there some were not nice to play some even good friends you think oh, you didn't want to play them because you could. I'd hate, it, hate the way they used to complain about bad luck all the time and uh, almost looking for it Funny enough uh, I was
0: just actually thinking you, you mentioned Mark Selby um, I think there's an art in snooker for the guy who gets a fluke not to feel guilty that's yeah. the key. Don't yeah. feel because gu- Ronnie's not have... very good at that, is he? No, <laughs> he gets a fluke and then misses. Yeah. I, I, yeah, and and I've struggled with it down the years. Like for example, one one of the matches this week, Mark Selby against Jan Bingtao he flipped a red first straight off the bat, didn't he? And he made seventy and went one nil up and one four nil. So there wasn't an ounce of guilt, and that's that's an art in itself. Yeah. You can you can, because there is a there's a nice feeling when you pot along red and you feel like you've got in because of you, not because of uh, the some guy in the sky or whatever so um, just, just brazen luck but um, the, it's a great thing great weapon to have if you've no guilt whatsoever and uh, I, 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 you, you know the old gentleman thing where you put your hand up mm. after, I wish I didn't do it and Stephen Henry was brilliant at it by the way because I played Stephen just briefly it was, was out in Thailand might have been China years ago and the misrule was kind of anyway cut a long story short I'm 4-3 behind I'm something like fifty two behind with four reds have snookered them. He's played out <coughs> excuse me, he's played out the snooker. He's not hit a red and the referee's called a miss. But he's gone it was impossible the, what happened. I could have easily put it back, and I would now. Um because uh, I don't feel guilty about it now. But Stephen taught me a lesson. Um I didn't put it back. I still won the frame anyway, and so it went four each, so then Stephen snookered me in the decider. I've played out of it, missed a red by like the um cigarette paper. The ref's gone foul for, and I must Steve that back, please. And I went, You but you know, and and, 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 but he taught me a little, he he, he done the right thing, Mm, no guilt. Yes, it's all fair in
1: love and war, and that's the best attitude. Maybe the attitude should be the same as the South African Robbie Grace in the late 80s. He wasn't a very good player at all, but when he had a fluke. You know this. He Used to laugh in people's faces. Yeah. No pretense yeah, yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's taken too far. Yeah,
0: yeah. Is that, that while he was rolling around the floor <laughs> yeah. as well? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, I
2: guess so. You know, the, the 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 moral is, you know, life's full of luck, isn't it? And and why should Snooker be any different? And uh, although obviously it's very hard when you see your opponent fluke a ball and clear, but it's going to happen. It might happen to you the next round
3: you know?
2: And luck makes the game more intriguing. Yeah, it makes the more, game more compelling to watch because you never know what's going to occur. So, finally, Z. Now, nothing stands for Z, uh, but Z is the end of the alphabet. But rather than talk about the end... I'd like to talk about the future, the future of snooker, because we're here in what seems like a golden era. There's a lot of tournaments. What are you laughing at? I uh, I was expecting
1: You could have got to
2: anything from that. I'll tell you what, I'll make make a deal with it. We'll just start again from A. uh, How (laughs) do you you feel about that? Or I'll continue. continue. It feels like we're we're living in a a golden era. A lot of tournaments, guys can earn a lot of money, loads of snooker on TV. But I guess you've got to kind of think, okay. but will it continue? You know, the Chinese boom has been a big thing for snooker, but booms don't last forever. We know that from the UK. In the UK, a lot of clubs have shut down. There seems to be fewer people playing. So who are the champions of the future? So I'd be interested in your thoughts on where snooker is heading, maybe five, ten years from now. Obviously, Barry Hearn, not even he can live forever, so someone's going to take over at World Snooker. Phil, what do do you think?
1: Well, everything is cyclical. We said this to sort of ease the the blow of how the game went down, so I suppose we should say to, you know, mitigate our enthusiasm about it at the moment, everything is cyclical and, and things will change. Right now it is a golden era, there's no doubt about it. But we should never, though, get complacent. It's a great time to be involved in the game, but it might not always be
3: a great time. I, I think that um I think that the way the game is now you look at the class of 92 I always talk about the, those guys uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan John Higgins Mark Williams and a few others I think Joe Perry turned pro at the same time he's still a leading player but I think it's, it's a combination of how great a player they are and always were is one of the reasons why they're still at the top and the other reason is there's not too many challenges coming through certainly not from the UK uh, obviously we've got you know you've got Selby we've got Trump we've got all these guys very, very good player still. Neil Robertson is what coming through also. He's at the top of the game. They've been world champion. Stuart Bingham is in his forties as well. There is a, a lack of talent in the twenties. I mean, Juddy's thirty now. There's not too many twenty-somethings. Kyron Wilson's one. I don't know where they're going. I mean, who is good? Who is going to come through from the UK? It's, it's, what's going to happen is you're going to get a lot of brilliant young Chinese players, and they're not ready yet either. But that's where the future is going to be in five years. Tom can we honestly say we think that Ronnie John and um Mark Williams are they still going to be at the top if if they are yeah all well and good but if they still are then something's wrong somewhere
2: one of the problems is you know if you're a young kid who Seen snook on TV and you like it and you want to play your nearest club might be miles away now. It's not like there's
0: just a club in the town centre. It might
2: you might have to go twenty miles and then it's too far. There used to be ten of them, there or
0: five of them. Well, I think one of the problems is that, for example, there's one young lad in Scotland who's got some potential. Uh, He could be a good player, and he kind of a, not so much mixes, but he's played against professionals, and he's really young. I don't think that's a good thing. I think you should have a, a sort of learning ground against guys your same age then the best players say there's if there's 50 of you or 100 of you which there was for us back in the day myself and Neil um, it was actually hundreds then the best 5 or 10 or 20 become good players then they move on to try and become professionals there, there's just no, no one playing it's as simple as that this boy up our way um, it'd be I feel sorry for him I would love if I'd He's going to miss out on going into a club with his one of his parents uh, on a Sunday morning with 100 other boys standing with cues in their hat. He's going to miss out on all that, and that's mm. where you get your education. I was actually talking to Joe Perry about it, actually, in China recently, and we said, um, you know, we're, we, we were actually chatting about the, boy, the boys back home. They, they're never going to experience going in the club at 10 or 11 in the morning, as we did, then playing a the pro-am at night time, and then go playing the night flyer at midnight. I mean, what, you just played, constantly played snooker. Here's a quick one. And and uh, imagine anyone doing this now. We were in uh, going to the, what they call the pro ticket tournaments. This was uh, the sp- sp- um, spring of 89. Um, Myself and uh, two or three mates. We played in a pro-am in Glasgow on the Friday evening. It finished at midnight. We played the pro-am. Uh, one of us probably got to the semis or whatever it was. And we jumped in the car and drove to the Isle of Wight for the pro ticket at, at the Isle of Wight at, at midnight. And we never even thought this is gonna be a long journey. <laughs> this but could be a nightmare. No. There's a car, there's a tournament, let's go. And you go they're gonna i mean, you think back of it now, it's crazy, but that was the part of your education of being a snooker player. You know. You, you you couldn't go to the Isle of Wight if you weren't any good, because you were guaranteed to lose in the first round. So you were you were forced to be a good player. So the way you're forced to be a good player, is you go to Pro-Arms against a hundred other
3: boys, and either you sink or swim, you're going to be a good player. So Can I just ask one you. question? I think it's related to this. Mm. Why did snooker die out in Canada? Because there were so many really good Canadian players uh, not just the obvious with Cliff, with Kirk, Steve, Bill Wervenick. There were some terrific players. You know, Alan Robidoux. Why is there nothing in Canada? And is it the same thing that we're seeing a little bit over here? Still the old greats are still the same. What happened in Canada?
2: I don't know the answer to that, but I guess the culture changes in countries, doesn't it? And one of the sort of one of the sort of cultural elements in Britain, it was very often that a father would take a son. And if that link gets broken, that's an issue. And you've spoken, Alan, about the way that, you know, you've seen young players in the club on their phones rather than practising and focusing, they've got a ball, they're going on Facebook, yeah. that's no good it's, it's no, it at all.
0: No, no, I mean, as a kid, as I say, we, you know, driving to the Isle of Wight, it was, mm. a, it was an eight hour drive, but you, it, it, it seemed like it could have been eight minutes, it's irrelevant, it's a mm. tournament down there, you go and, um, yeah, kids now, I'll, I'll be honest, there's been a couple of decent prospects in, in Scotland in, in the last, what, five, ten years. But I knew from straight away, you're talking about phones, Dave, and you're mm. a million percent right. Um, they're on their phone more more than they are on the table. And I just look at them I go, and I go, stand, standing with a phone, I say, Well, you can forget it. <laughs> Here's a quick one Kyron Wilson. I first came across him at uh, the academy at Gloucester, the South West Nicar Academy. And uh, there was a bunch of the, the younger guys in the corner, there was a room with about four tables in it and they were all carrying on and talking about who's got the flashiest phone or who's mm. got the what, I, mean, I don't know what they were talking about. Kyron walks in with his cue, Um, at like 29 minutes past seven, he's on at half past seven, cue out, hit balls for half an hour, put his queue in the case and out the door. Mm. And I thought, I, look, I, I didn't know him at all. I'd heard his name and whatever and I thought, you've got a chance. Mm. He, You've got a big chance. And then we know where he is now, you know. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's it sort of this culture, a lot of, mm. you know, one of the problems as well is like, Video games are so good now. A lot of people would rather just play like the snooker 19 game rather than which me and Nil did the commentary for, by the way. Which uh, um, r- would rather play that than go go to a club, uh, like I say, which they might take them an hour to get to, you know. This is a valid viewpoint, and I think it definitely is true.
1: What you've got to say though is that other sports, football, tennis, golf, have got a vast array of young talent coming through mm. from all parts of the world. Yeah. And obviously phones and computer (coughs) games affect those people as well, Mm, and yet they're coming through. So Mm. maybe it's something else in snooker, I just can't put my
2: finger on it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, again, in terms of the club shutting down, I mean, I'm not saying the smoking ban was wrong, but a lot of people went to snooker clubs. Like I say, dads would go maybe and they'd catch up with their mates, have a drink and a smoke while their kids would play. If they can't do that anymore, they don't go. So, the fact that culture has changed has, has had an impact. You know, snooker's not like those sports. It's not like you're sort of taking your son or daughter to, to, to some athletic event. You know, it's it's very often. I mean, John Higgins said like he first played snooker because his dad
0: took him and his brother into the club. They played. He had a drink. Yeah, it's not just the kids that are not going. It's mm. the old characters that Neil sure. will he'll know hundreds of them, but from back in the day that that cheated you with two reds left. They would do. You know, <laughs> they would do. They would go to the toilet and leave you to set the balls. Up. Yeah. Set the balls up and all that. You, you had to grow up quickly as a kid. You, you ain't gonna do that on a phone. That's guaranteed. Yeah, I think just to wrap up then, I think like I'm hopeful snooker will
2: continue to do well because it's such a great sport. You know, it's a great game. People love watching it. People love playing it. We need more players. Certainly, we need new players. Definitely, new stars. And maybe they will emerge. You know, given given time. But the key to it actually is what we've already talked about in the podcast, which is television. If television still wants to put money in, then people will earn money professionally from playing it because it's supply and demand. And there's no immediate sign that's going to change. We can't predict 50 years from now, but in the next 10 years, I don't see any reason, if they're getting good figures and getting good entertainment out of it, why, why that should change. That's my opinion.
0: I'm biased, obviously, and, and we all are, probably. Um, but I, I look at other sports, I, I find it difficult to get in, into another sport, mm. you know, like football, or VARs and all the cheating and putting your hand up for a throw-in when you've kicked it out. Mm. And it's just constant cheating. And um, To me, snooker's a, the true sport there is. I, yes, I'm biased, but it's, it's a true sport there is. There's a piece of wood. The other guy's got a piece of wood. Go on that table and see when you come back. Tell me who won. Mm. All right, okay. Um, that's the way. You know, there's no advantage or anything. That's what I love about it. You know, it's com- it's mental combat, it's physical combat, and uh, it's one of the best games there is. Mm. Cool. And you know what I want?
2: I want an alphabet with more letters so we can do more of this. <laughs> well, maybe, we'll, like I said we'll just start another one on on, sn- on snooker's longest running podcast. Thank you for listening.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.